137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Pixelated Paranormal. This is episode 300... Jesus, 234. <laughs> well, we went in the future quite a ways. I mean, we're getting close, right? Episode 234, and the gang is all here. With me, as always, of course, is Preston. What's up, everybody? And Big Steven is back in the saddle. What's going on? Um, how are you doing, Steve, after last week's uh, fiasco, man? Fuck, this shit was crazy. So, I'm um, driving to Emporia to see my girlfriend's grandmother, and it was really rainy and stuff, and there was like three or four semis in the, in the right lane, you know, going slow like they should, and a bunch of cars on the left passing in the, in the passing lane. So, mm-hmm. we decided to get in that and do the same thing. Well, the semis were splashing so much water up everywhere that it... That mixed that with the windy day, and it literally picked up her back end and sw- like made it to the left, and then she turned it, turned it, hit the median, and then into the ditch. And luckily, we missed every single car. Um, I mean, when that like it was crazy when that when that happened, like it was um, slow motion again, like it was the other wreck I was in, and um, you know this time I was in in. The, my previous wreck, I was asleep, and then I woke up to that. So waking up out of that sleep, but um, this one I was you know fully awake, and she was driving and I wasn't and stuff, and it was just it was really intense, and like the whole car filled with smoke because you know it was rainy and shit, and it was hitting this, mm-hmm. everything, and uh, all the airbags went off, so all the white dust was everywhere, and it was just <laughs> it was wild, man. It was crazy, but we're wow. we're okay. We're both okay. Uh, just some, you know, minor whip, whiplash and some, uh, you know, my stomach feels better now because, like, the seatbelt cut into the stomach, oh, cut into my chest yeah. by my, like, clavicle area or whatever they call that. And, uh, but yeah, it's, the car's totaled, but, you know, we're getting the insurance to settle all that out. And, okay. uh, yeah, it's been, it's pretty nuts to have a, another near-death experience. Uh, wrecks are terrible. I I strongly hope nobody else, nobody I know gets in one because it's, it's trauma, it's traumatizing. It takes a long time to get over stuff like that. With my job, like I have to, I have to drive, you know what I'm saying? So I was literally on the road the next day. Yeah. That's (laughs) insane, dude. Yeah. I can't imagine that just having the trauma of the previous wreck and you've talked about that on the show before, but then... Mm -hmm. Just have another one, dude. It's got oh, bring yeah. all sorts of fucking yeah. memories and uh, feelings. Yeah. I remember, um, not to make light of this, but I remember when Rob came down to visit the first time, and he was dropping me off at my house, and he had just got that new Jeep, and we were exiting uh, 235 on the Central, and he didn't realize that it wasn't just like a casual you know, exit, that it exited, and then it took like a 45-degree turn to the right. Yeah. Do you remember that shit? He yeah. was flying down, and we're just like, Rob, 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 slow down. Oh, yeah, I remember how you reacted when that happened, dude. Yeah. And uh, Jesus. Yeah, I can't. It can't do it, man. So yeah. But you fair, know, dude. I'm glad That's that every, I'm glad that we're safe, and it's just it's really weird timing. 
um, and everything. But I mean, what kind of win can you time a wreck? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Unless you're unless you're the jackass dudes. <laughs> Jeez, I just watched Jackass Forever the other day. I love day. it, Shayla, man. Shayla showed me it was streaming on like Paramount, yeah. and uh, we watched it. That was so good. You're you were 100 percent right when you said it was heartwarming, and there yep. was something about it that was just so comforting and so familiar, man. And yeah. it was it was fantastic. It's it awesome. I've watched it twice since it came out on Paramount. I will probably watch it again as well, dude. Yeah. Uh, not to not to spoil anything for anybody, but uh, it is jackass. Um, there are tons of <laughs> full frontal graphic male nudity. Um, so you know, maybe which is underrepresented in mainstream movies. Just saying, it it is. I actually <laughs> just watched a film on uh, film. Listen to me, fucking Oscar talk. Yeah, I just watched a I just watched a uh, a movie on Shutter called Revenge, and it's this chick who is at a um, like a little Airbnb out in the middle of nowhere with her rich boyfriend, and these two guys show up who are the guy's husband, um, uh, hunting buddies, and then basically shit goes crazy, and she ends up hunting them down to get revenge. And if you want to see some flop and dong, check out <laughs> Revenge on Shutter because there is a there's there's a lack of female nudity, which is fine. Like I'm not mad because there's not any full frontal, but you know it is kind of refreshing to see that just as a you know a film fan. There's a lot more movies showing male genitalia and male nudity versus just being your typical you know female yeah. TNA, which in a horror movie that's classic. You know that's a staple in exploitation and horror to have just tons of tits and ass and everything. But no, in this movie, like you get to see the dude's dong just. You get to know flopping well. around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I saw so. a, saw a lot of dong the other night with that little RoboCop clip that the. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh my god, I hoped I was hoping you guys watch that shit. That was great. Yeah. I don't know. Do it. That was just Do something I found on Reddit. And I was like, "What recreating this? this? Is so low budget." And then all of a sudden, I was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. Because isn't that a scene in RoboCop? Doesn't he actually yes. make that shot where he shoots between the girl's legs and hits that guy in the yeah. dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and everybody laughs their ass off at it because it's so it's so over the top. Yeah. The whole fucking movie is it's violent as hell. Go back and watch yeah. RoboCop. <laughs> yeah. We did. We're not. We were like. We're not going to link the fan film, but what Steven's talking about, you can probably find it on Reddit. There's a fan film where they basically reenact that whole scene. And then RoboCop proceeds to blow off like twenty more dicks. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, they're just dudes, just with straight penises out everywhere. And it's it and then like the and it's not CGI. Like it's 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 really good prosthetic yeah, effects like and pros- like <laughs> explosion of blood. It's so good. It's so good. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't. I send that to you guys like one night at like two <laughs> two something in the morning. Or something. It was definitely late, dude. It was way late, and it was I was up late because you know I just yeah. stay up pretty late on the weekends. Yeah, that killed, man. It <laughs> fucking was so funny. <laughs> it was. Yeah, because it was uh, twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah, I just got the, the our uh, we we switched back to Verizon, so my phone didn't notify me that Steven sent a video. So I just see Sean. What the fuck, man? I'm like, what? What the fuck? What are you talking about? And then all of a sudden, Sean sent the video, and I watched it. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking classic. Well, speaking of films, um, let's jump into the news, shall we, boys? It was just announced today. A never-before-seen George A. Romero short film called Jacaranda Joe will be screening for free virtually in April. 
The George A. Romero Archival Collection was acquired by the University of Pittsburgh Libraries back in 2019. This means lots of people are hard at work digging through these archives, pulling out old films. One of which is a short film titled Jacaranda Joe, which Romero filmed back in 1994. It's never been seen by any Romero fan, but that's about to change. The Pitt Archives will be hosting the first ever public screening of George A. Romero's Jacaranda Joe on April 12th, and it's going to be screening virtually free for everybody. You have a free registration. The screening will be followed by a Q&A with crew members. You can sign up right now. Go to bloodydisgusting.com. Look for that headline, and you can sign up and register to actually see the film. Apparently, that as explained by the University of Pittsburgh Library System's Horror Studies website, in June of 1994, George Romero traveled to Valencia College in Florida to make a short film called Jacaranda Joe or Jacaranda. It was a reimagined version of a movie he tried to make back in the 1970s called The Footage, about a TV show in which a famous athlete learns to hunt alongside a handful of experienced outdoorsmen and stumble across a Bigfoot community on accident. But while the story was entirely focused on the film shoot, with the footage never actually being seen by anybody, uh, which ends with the Bigfoots throwing a film reel into the air like a bunch of party streamers, Jacaranda Joe takes place after a clip from the similar TV show is leaked out. It was pretty much an early prototype found footage film, which would have came out previously before the Blair Witch Project. But Romero reportedly pulled back, not understanding fully if people wanted to watch a documentary-style found footage film and didn't know if they'd find it frightening or even entertaining. But the 17-minute short film centers around documentary footage of an alleged Bigfoot sighting, and the website notes that Romero was potentially interested in expanding it into a full feature. He explains that six reels were originally um, from camera negatives from the filming of Jacaranda Joe at Valencia College. Anyway, guys, um, this has been a recovery of 35mm film, which they will actually stream, like I said, for free on April 12th. It's fantastic, dude. Um, That's cool. Where did this get found at? Or like, you know Well, I, mean? I don't know the full story of Romero's actual foundation, but the George A. Romero Archival Collection was just an archive full of stuff he had filmed, like I said uh, in the article, prototypes, um, short films, little ditties mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then the uh, George A. Romero Foundation, basically his family estate, has donated these to the University of Pittsburgh Libraries That's so tight. they can go through it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty fantastic stuff just to see that we might get a chance to finally uh, view a lot of his previously unreleased stuff. That's cool. I, uh, I'm kind of sad we didn't get to see a full-on, full-feature Bigfoot film from old Romero. Man, that could have been pretty freaking badass. Yeah, that would been cool. He had another film not too long ago come out. Um, oh, gosh, what was it called? Um, the Amusement Park. And that was a movie he had never actually um, released either uh, before he passed away. And they finally found that and released it. It's from the 1970s. And it takes place, um, I believe, following an elderly man at a fun house. And it's really about the thrills and tribulations of growing older. But hmm. that was on Shudder. Um, I never watched it yet, but I think it's still streaming. So I might have to jump in and check that out. But Hell yeah. yeah. 
the fuck with Will Smith and Chris Rock, man. Everybody, please jump in and talk about this George A. Romero Bigfoot movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> more important, man. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that shit happened on live TV. Heads were rolling. And speaking of rolling heads, heads, check out that segue. In Colorado, a box of human heads were stolen from a truck in Denver. Nice. People call it shocking. A box containing human heads was stolen from a parked freight company truck in Denver, said officials on Saturday. The box was being transported for medical research purposes, and the Denver police are investigating the incident. Reportedly, somebody broke into this truck Thursday morning while it was parked in Denver's Central Park neighborhood early Thursday morning. The blue and white box was marked with a label that said, Exempt Human Specimen. A dolly was also stolen from the truck to use to lift the box. Pretty shocking, one local resident said. I guess I don't see too many strange things happening around here usually, but you know, you never know. The incident comes just days after the Denver Police Department warned several people on Facebook vehicle-related crimes are at an all-time high, such as auto theft and theft from motor vehicles in Denver. No arrests have been made so far, but investigators ask anybody who knows any information about the box of severed heads, please call Crime Stoppers at 720-913-7867. The heads were specimens that would be used for furthering education, you know, at yeah. um, medical school and so yeah. on. Yeah. So, like, what's crazy is that when someone breaks into a car, I don't really think that they're looking at what it says on the box. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're just like going for it. So like that is, I mean, to me, like it sucks it happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, I just think that's fucking amazing that this criminal gets home and opens this fucking thing and there's heads in What's there. in the box? Oh my God, dude. That is so funny to me. <laughs> Man, there's so many, there's so many jokes to be made about the movie Seven right now. Speaking of, of um, vehicles and cadavers, corpses. Um, mm-hmm. did you guys see that article about that, uh, van, like what I drive on some uh-uh. New Jersey, I think it was New Jersey or something like that, uh, highway, no, uh-uh. it got hit by a truck, a semi or whatever. And like the, the driver lived, but the body went <laughs> out the fucking window and fucking everybody <laughs> no. was freaking out. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that's so, something straight out of a fucking, that's something straight out of a movie. Yeah. Just a it was yeah. projectile body. Yeah. Just. It's fucking nuts. That's so. unfortunate, man. But yeah, like we're on the road so much, man. Like I always think of that shit even more yeah, so. I mean, I fuck. guess you've got to be really, really uh, insured in that type of business. So yeah. I can't imagine, dude. That's freaking wild. So up next, guys, in Oakland, California, the mummified body of a man was found inside of a wall at the old Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland, California, during a recent excavation. Crews have been working for a couple of years to bring back to life the building which has been closed since 2005. Well, a construction worker found the body on the west side of the building near the concert hall behind drywall between two concrete pillars. Police said the cavity where the individual was found was approximately 15 inches wide and 12 inches in height, the perfect size for an average size body. Based on evidence found at the scene, they haven't come across an actual identity of the body, although they said it is male and has been dead for quite a long time. 
because of the actual climate in the building, they said the body was all but mummified. It was perfectly preserved, just, you know, slightly decomposed. There's no signs of obvious trauma. They are currently getting DNA testing done and looking into local missing persons cases. I would shit my pants if I discovered that while I was doing a uh, renovation job. That's, yeah, that's, that's crazy. I like in the article, they're like, they're like, crews have been working for a couple of years to bring life back into the building, oh, no. which has been closed since 2005. Ah, oh, jeez, man. Holy shit. That's Fuck. crazy. I hope they, I hope they find out, but follow up on didn't, that. Didn't we cover a story not too long ago about a body being found from one of the, um, oh, it's like a Mason type of um, fraternity called the Odd Fellows. Wasn't there a body found in the upstairs of a building not too long ago? No, it wasn't a body. It was just um, it was a, it was a skeleton that you know I, I guess in their ritual they do something like a, in a coffin, and uh, so they you know back in the late eighteen hundreds you could buy like actual human real human mm-hmm. skeletons and so they they still had like a full on you know real human skeleton not some fake Hollywood shit and like people were freaking out. So, oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But this reminds me um, of, uh, I can't remember what channel it was on, but uh, they were doing like forensic anthropology uh-huh. and they, they were teaching sculpturists how to take a skull, make a cast of it, and then based on like if you could tell that the skull belonged to like an African-American or somebody that was Caucasian, you would put these little foam pads, and each one had like a different depth marker on it. So uh-huh. it might be like two two uh, two millimeters tall, might be four millimeters tall, because basically, mathematically, you can look at whatever ethnic group, and no matter what ethnic group, um, everybody that's within that category, like the depth of the muscles on your cheekbone. Or like the uh, the you know you know the skin around your nose protrudes uh-huh. a certain amount, and so they would go in and they would learn how to put these little like foam pads all over a cast of the skull, and then go in and add clay. And as they're adding the clay, it basically protrudes the muscles. So they would start with the skull, add layers and layers and layers of muscles, and by the time they got done, they would have a recreation of uh what these skulls you know what the human looked like to that uh-huh. skull wow and then they would search they would go out so if they found a skull in you know washington national park they would look at missing persons cases and they would reach out to the family and through this study they have you know basically solved like 10 missing person cases in the last like 15 20 years um, because the science and the art to it is so exact that, I mean, it, it's a pretty spot-on replication of, of what that person would look like just based off their skull and then human anatomy. Well, fuck yeah, man. Shock another one up there for art. Yeah, dude. That And I just, that fucking like rocks my, because as somebody who makes sculptures, I'm like, holy shit, what have I been <laughs> yeah. doing with my life? <laughs> I could be sitting here recreating fucking human skulls and be like i fucking helped find jerry jerry's been missing for 30 years and uh i uh, i did the legwork thanks steve i think we just solved the crime in denver it seems oddly peculiar that preston knows about yeah. this recreating yeah. of a person's face yeah. and suddenly there's a box of human heads missing yeah, yeah. Hmm. say no synchronicity preston 
Preston <laughs> was on some paid time off recently, too. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to find an alibi, buddy. <laughs> well, that's fucking cool, man. I know now that, you know, you went from painting to making kombucha to doing wine stoppers and ink pens. What else are you going to do in that crazy garage of yours, man? Uh, you mean, you name it. Uh, that's uh, when it comes to the, like, you know, being an artist, I'm kind of like a jack of all trades. Like I'll just watch a video. I'm like, holy shit, this is fucking amazing, and then I'll just go do it. And then you watched one YouTube video on exhuming human heads, and you're like, well, (laughs) (laughs) Jeffrey, if there's a cowboy hat hanging on the garage door, don't come in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, fucking awesome, man! That's great. So uh, Katie got me a Groupon massage thing, and I went to the massage thing last. or this previous or this last Friday, and when I was there, uh, the the what do you call the person who gives you massage? Massage the therapist. Masseuse? Yeah, masseuse, massage therapist, whatever. Uh, she's really nice, and uh, she asked me what I do for a living. So I told her, and she's like, "Well, that's so crazy." And then and she's and then I mentioned like the podcast and stuff, and she goes, she uh, then out of nowhere, she's like, "Yeah, she's like, um, yeah, I, I mean, I have a husband that's that's passed away." And he died a real traumatic death. And I was like, what? And she started telling me about how, um, you know, side of the road, he's a tow truck driver, very common tow truck drivers get hit and somebody drove off. Oh my God. And then like right after, uh, like two days after, um, he passed away, she found out she was pregnant and now the, the kid is like, you know, of course looks like him and all that stuff like most kids do. Sure. But she says there'll be times when she'll be like doing the dishes and mm-hmm. their son will come up to her and say like something very specific. Be like, do you remember the book that you read that, that you read in Miss something's class? I don't know. Some teacher. What? Yeah. And then she's like, I she's like, I'm she's like, I'm a woman of faith, you know, and I I'm starting to think that this is like some reincarnation shit or something. Yeah. Holy yeah, cow, it was, I was, it was wow. tripping me out. I was like, what the fuck? So, You're sitting there trying to relax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she was really nice and stuff. And, and she's like, yeah, she's no. like, oh, you need to come back in here. Your stories are cool. Huh. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You had to tell us uh, off the air uh, where you went to have that done. At. Or you can say where it, has, where it is and I can cut it out. I honestly can't remember the name of it. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I know exactly where it's at, but I can't remember the name because it's like in one of them... Uh, I don't know, area with a bunch of stores and all the signs are confusing and shit, so I I can't remember. Well, speaking of the unusual, over the past five, almost six years we've been doing this show, we've covered several peculiar alien abduction cases. Do you guys have any that have stood out so far or have a classic case that's like just your absolute favorite so far? I mean, tonight's episode reminds me of, um, oh, God, it's one of my favorite Krypton encounters. What the fuck is it called? It's, uh, you know, the robot one that was like in, um, with the red glowing eyes that lo- the the creature looked like it was uh, made out of metal. Yeah. I, um, I don't remember the name uh-huh. of that thing. It's creepy looking. Yeah. Okay. You're talking about the Flatwoods monster. Yes, the Flatwoods monster. There we go. Jesus Christ. So tonight's episode that was a good. That's a good episode. Makes me makes me think of the Flatwoods monster, just because it's. I mean, I can't say too much until we actually get into the story, but it's uh-huh. one of those like 
is it an actual alien abduction or is it like an you know interdimensional being encounter uh-huh, um, uh-huh. so those and like even like the Whitley Strieber stuff like did he actually encounter like actual aliens or was he encountering mm-hmm. something else um so stuff like that uh, those always stick out to me or you know the the one that we covered the one time in China where like this little spaceship of midgets crashed and then oh, they yeah. had like the little the metal records and it was like wah 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 and there's like some weird wah, wah. like you know alien language on it <laughs> that's and, dubstep uh, bro they were called like uh, the drogo or the the bogon and uh, you know there was like this whole rich backstory about like this you know uh, alien race that lived on Earth for like thousands of years, and then like some pissed off Chinese guys just go into a cave and stab them with some spears, and that's the end of it. So, Dude, right. It's up. <laughs> Steve, what about you, man? Any any favorite so far that you've uh, really enjoyed? It's hard for me to remember specific ones, but I mean, I, I you can just say all. I mean, I know I really like. I mean, like I said, I, I'm more into the cryptid encounters, and I mean, honestly, that shit's alien to me. So I find yeah, that shit's alien. Yeah, <laughs> Dicky. <laughs> Um, one of my favorites so far was um, episode one uh, one forty two, the Pierre Zanfretta abductions uh, was a really good one too. Where I think he was like a, a security guard driving around on those really weird like lizard looking guys. Um, he found them like fucking around around some property that he was watching. Anyway, um, we should all go back apparently and listen to one forty two. But what I'm getting at is there's been no shortage of really bizarre alien encounters. Range four, Harry. Don't range forget it. We've never really done a deep dive into Range 4, Harry, have we? We need to. We, we need to. really fucking need to. That way uh, Stephen knows exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Just a giant radioactive alien horse is all you need to know. Well, Preston, like you mentioned, tonight's episode is no exception. It's actually a very bizarre encounter. Situated about two miles off the south coast of England in the English Channel is a small island country known as the Isle of Wight. Like the rest of the UK, the island has an oceanic climate, which makes the Isle of Wight a popular holiday destination due to the beautiful cliff sides and large sprawling beaches. It's on the east side of the island that tonight's story takes place in a small coastal town called Sandown. One sunny May afternoon around 4 p.m. back in 1973, a young seven-year-old girl named Faye and her unnamed male friend of the same age were out exploring around the fairways of the Shanklin and Sandown Golf Club. As a pair of young school children were running around up and down the various small grassy hills, their laughter was suddenly cut short by a bizarre mechanical-sounding siren, which began to wail from out in the marshy swampland. Not quite sure if it was an ambulance causing the wailing screech or another type of public rescue vehicle, the two schoolmates took off into the tall, wet grass to see exactly what was causing the noise. Being more perplexed and less frightened, the two junior explorers made their way through the swampland into a clearing near a wooden footbridge just past the woods beyond the edge of the golf course. The area opened up into a pasture which was once the location of a now long-defunct airport. As they reached the bridge, the wailing abruptly stopped to send silence crashing down upon them. You know, we hear about this strange occurrence oftentimes around the source of paranormal activity, and it's called the Oz Effect, where 
Just about when an unexplainable or paranormal encounter is about to incur, all the nearby sound is completely cut off, and an unnatural quietness drowns out everything in the vicinity. While not quite content with leaving well enough alone, even though the metallic siren had finally stopped, the two children decided to take a look around the area to see if they could discover the source of the strange noise. And just as they made their way across the wooden footbridge, they saw something truly terrifying. Without warning or any explanation, a three-fingered hand wearing a blue glove slowly crept out from under the wooden bridge and caught the attention of the two children. They both gasped and jumped back as the blue three-fingered hand closed into a fist, extending out one solitary finger that went in a curling motion, beckoning the two children to come closer. Come on, kids. You want a balloon? <laughs> yeah. Creep. What a creep. <laughs> yeah. With three fingers, too. Like, even more exactly, fucking Exactly, man. Get out of here with that shit. And now, while most of us at this point would just have ran away at the mere sight of a three-fingered hand telling us to come a little closer, these kids didn't. And then what happened next was perhaps even more incredible. From under the same bridge the children had just crossed, the entity who had beckoned the children to come a little closer began to crawl out from under the wooden bridge. Inch by inch, the thing's body was revealed, and later on the children would go on to describe the bizarre creature. They said it was nearly seven feet tall and had no neck. <laughs> its head appeared to be wedged straight on the shoulders. He wore a yellow pointed hat, which interlocked onto the red collar of a tattered green tunic. A round black knob was affixed to the top of his hat, and a wooden antenna stretched out from both sides. The face had triangular markings for the eyes, but were more like a jack-o'-lantern's face because these shapes were cut into the surface of the face more like an opening. Its skin was as white as paper. Ugh. It also had a brown square-shaped hole cut in the face for a nose, and the mouth was cut into a slight grin with painted-on yellow lips, but it stayed motionless any time the entity spoke. There were also other round markings painted on its cheek like a rouge, and a fringe of red hair sprouted onto its forehead from underneath its pointy hat. Strange wooden slats protruded from his sleeves around his hands, and also from below his white trousers. And from the bottom of those trousers, it had bare feet with no shoes, which were also white, but they too only had three toes. And you'll see there an original drawing from the kid's report, as, um, as followed by an artist recreation of the creature, but it looks really bizarre, almost like some kind of space clown. Now, not much longer after the bizarre wooden robot squeezed himself out from under the bridge, he pulled out a book that he began to hold outward towards the children. But suddenly he began bumbling with it, and it slipped out of his grasp and plopped into the water of the creek that ran below the bridge. The children began to giggle as the entity sloppily rushed over to the edge of the creek, staring at the book for a few seconds, before he jumped in the water and started erratically splashing around, searching for the lost book he had just dropped. After he finally found the book, the entity looked around and then jumped out of the creek and oddly started bounding and leaping across the ground, 
similar to that of an astronaut jumping across the moon's surface. <laughs> and he fleed toward... What? I was just laughing, just picturing oh. all this. <laughs> yeah. And then he fleed towards an old metal shed-like structure off in the distance. The children watched for a few moments and then decided it was now time to nope the fuck out of there and head back to Faye's dad's house. Definitely. As the children were walking away from the entity's hut, once they were about 50 yards away, they looked back to see the strange wooden clown robot exiting the building, looking around for presumably the children. He carried what looked to be a square-shaped box that had various knobs and levers on it and a wire that connected to a microphone-like device. And then suddenly, without warning, the same metallic siren as before began to wail again, emanating from a strange little device. And this terror filled both children. Faye's friend took off running towards the bridge, but just as Faye turned around to take off after him, the siren noise faded out and the wooden clown began to speak into the microphone, asking a peculiar question. Are you still here? The strange question stunned both the retreating children, and they both turned around to face the otherworldly companion. They said the strange creature's voice sounded like it had a friendly tone and was non-threatening. But what caught them off guard is that while he was still pretty far away, his voice sounded like it was coming from right beside them. Both the children cautiously made their way back to the entity, who was still holding the mobile karaoke machine, but was also holding the same book he had previously dropped in the water. Now the boy had kept his distance too, not too sure about the wooden weirdo, but Faye approached it more eagerly, and when she was about an arm's reach away, the clown creature opened up the book and began to write a message inside on one of the papers. He then showed the scribblings to Faye, and Faye went on to say the writing looked like that of a child, but was still legible. But the clown's sentence wasn't in any kind of order. But the clown's sentence was not in any kind of order that made any sense to her. So the clown then pointed at each word, and Faye read the message out loud in the order the clown pointed. The message said, Hello, I am all colors, Sam. At this point, the boy had finally decided that this crude-looking robot hadn't just ripped Faye into shreds and eaten her guts, so it was safe for him, too, to join Faye, and the two began to talk with the entity that they knew now as Sam. The two kids were incredibly fascinated by the being's ability to seemingly talk without moving its painted yellow lips. Faye reported that even though the thing was able to speak seemingly perfect English, its pronunciations and tones made it sound a lot like a person who couldn't open their mouth all the way to speak, like the entity was clenching its jaw shut and still trying to speak. Soon the children felt more comfortable with Sam, and they started asking the thing about why his clothes looked the way they did, because to them it looked like an old worn-out clown costume from a circus, but the colors were faded, and it looked torn and frayed in some places. Sam, unfazed by the question, replied that these were the only clothes that he had. Faye, even though she was feeling more and more comfortable with the friendly robot, was still fixated on the humanoid's strange face 
and was suddenly unsettled by the fact the facial features never changed, and it almost looked to her like the head may have been more of a helmet. And she gathered up the courage finally and asked Sam if he was human, to which Sam simply replied, No. That startled both the two children, and Faye then asked Sam, Well, maybe are you a ghost? And the strange being replied, Well, not really, but I am in an odd sort of way. Now slightly irritated by the being's cryptic sort of answer, Faye annoyingly asked, So what are you then? And Sam vaguely replied, You know, without any more explanation. The creature then went on to explain that although he had indicated that his name was Sam, which was written in the book, he had no other real name. He also claimed there were several more entities just like him here on Earth, and then went on to tell her that they were scared of people and scared they might hurt him and the rest of his fellow entities, stating that if they were attacked, they were not able to fight back. Now, we all know Stranger Danger, and the three of us were raised <laughs> during the time of Just Say No, and if your creepy neighbor invites you over for a nice cold lemonade, you're not supposed to go in his house. Popsicles? Whole mess of popsicles. Get <laughs> <Down in> my basement. <laughs> well, perhaps the most discouraging part of the story of all is what happens next. The entity finally invited the children to enter inside his metal-shaped hut, with no windows and only one small door on the side. The kids crawled through the and discovered the hut was split into two separate levels, almost like a loft. The lower level had a blue-green designed wallpaper that covered and a pattern of dials. Also, there was an electric space heater and some kind of basic wooden furniture, a chair, a table, and maybe a sofa. The upper level was not quite as tall and had a metal floor. The entity known as Sam told them that he managed to survive by eating on berries he foraged in the local nearby woods. But he also got his water from the nearby river, but he had to clean the water before he could drink it, although he never described the purification process he would use. Sam also told the children in no specific area was a secret camp that he maintained, and it was located somewhere in the mainland of England. Now, while they were inside the hut, Sam went on to take off the strange pointed hat and revealed a pair of large, round, white ears and a sparse patch of thinning brownish hair underneath the pointy hat. What happens next, though, completely left the children at wit's end. The children went on to say, on the table in front of them was a bowl full of freshly picked berries. Sam went on to pick a berry and stick it inside of his ear. Creep. <laughs> right. He then nodded his head forward, and that caused a berry then to disappear and reappear in one of his triangular-shaped eye sockets. After repeating the strange movement back and forth, the berry then finally reached his mouth. Some people speculate this process could have been a biological way of purifying and looking for any potential toxins inside the berry before the entity may have consumed it. The children remained inside the creature's house for the better part of one half hour, asking Sam various questions, 
only to receive more ambiguous cryptic answers. After a short while, the kids decided to bid Sam farewell and leave the hut. Sure, they had just seen a genuine ghost. Now, the first person they came across was a groundskeeper for the uh, golf course, who simply laughed at their outlandish tale, assuming it was nothing more than a flight of fancy or a kid's prank. This only pissed off Faye and her compatriot, who took off running, surely flipping the groundskeeper the bird. Now, disturbed by the first time she tried to tell somebody what just happened, it took several weeks for Faye to finally confide in her father about what they had experienced. At first, he didn't pay too much attention, but then started to be convinced only due to the extraordinary level of detail about the story that both Faye and her friend both told Faye's father separately. Not too long after the story was recounted to Faye's father, he explored the area where his daughter said that they claimed to see the strange wooden robot. But there was no trace of any metal hut, no strange footprints in the dirt, or anything else. Otherwise, to say, what Faye and her friend had encountered was anything real. Now, Faye's father found it to be very strange, because the weight of such a hut and the softness of the ground would surely leave indentions where the actual hut had been set. He ran into two men that were fixing a pole in the nearby area, but these two said they had never seen two children playing, nor any strange entities running around. Faye's father finally said, I get the impression that Faye was somehow taken into a bubble of alien reality created by this strange personage. He told them that he had just made the hut. Also, Faye told me that while they were talking to the ghost, two workmen nearby were repairing a post. They paid no attention to the weird charade, as though they could not see it. Faye's dad, also previously as a child, had witnessed several UFOs flying over the area when he was younger, only adding to his personal belief the validity of Faye's encounter. But what's strange here is the fact that he went on to say that maybe they were taken into some kind of bubble of alien reality. You know, we talked about, or you mentioned earlier, that when we grew up, we were taught about stranger danger, right? Like, we're mm -hmm. not going to go into, you know, our neighbor Jerry's house for, like, lemonade. And it was really pressed upon us, you know, say no to drugs, don't do this. And you look at our generation of kids and, you know, my children, you think about clowns. We had killer clowns from outer space and we had Stephen <laughs> King's It, right? Yeah. So yeah. clowns for our generation were very different from clowns from when Faye's generation of kids <clears throat> were, were coming up. Clowns to yeah. us are scary. They're the shit of nightmares. So if you have anything presenting itself as a clown, there's no way a fucking modern day child, unless it's like two... Um, is going to go anywhere near that fucking thing. Like, my kids would be like, fuck no, I've seen Stephen <laughs> Part 1 and 2. I know how this yeah, is yeah, going yeah. down. I'm out. But back in the 60s and 70s, clowns were, you know, they were at parties all the time. They were considered goofy. They weren't considered scary. So if you have something that's trying to reach out to children, it, it, it makes sense that it would take on this persona of a clown because clowns are or trusted like kids aren't going to be scared of, of seeing this goofy looking wooden clown 
Whereas our modern generation, they'd be like, nope, we're getting the fuck out. And mm-hmm. then you go back to the idea that the, the two postmakers are working next to this hut, but they couldn't see it. Only the kids could see it. And then time and time again throughout folklore, you know, we, we talk about, let's say, you know, fairy folk or the fairy realm or interdimensional beings. When they, when they come into this reality, they have to take on a form. So was it because, you know, his voice was muffled? Because he wasn't truly in this dimension. He said, you know, I'm not a ghost, but, you know, I'm kind of sort of, you know, I'm along those lines. Meaning that he's not like a dead human spirit, but he's not totally in this reality. And then, you know, folklore, like German folklore, the Pied Piper... He Mm -hmm. lured children with music. And so here we have this, you know, Sam the Sandown Clown who's, you know, he's like sounding like a siren, like, and the kids are like, what the fuck? So he gets out like a microphone and he's like, oh, and then it translates to a voice that's very calm and very soothing. And then the folklore of the Pied Piper you know, they said he played like a flute, something akin to a musical instrument to lure the kids away so that he could kill them. <laughs> and here's this yeah, guy, yeah. like, you know, he's all, you can't understand him, but now he's using this microphone, a musical instrument, you could say, to lure these two children in so mm-hmm. that he could talk mm-hmm. to them. Um, you know, it, it's a modern day encounter of that. You know, we've talked about it. Um, I don't remember the child's name, but the grandma on the poopy paper, um, the poopy sticky paper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so here, here's, here's, so Steve, there's a story of this kid, you know, we talked about it during missing four one one. Um, so he's on this camping trip with it, with his parents. I think his name was Michael. And, um, so the, you know, the, the grandma, the mom and dad, um, you know, the, the older brother, Jerry and the little, the little boy, Michael, um, they're all out camping. And so the mom and dad, you know, they're making dinner grandma's in sleeping. And the mom says, you know, Jerry, watch your little brother. So, you know, Michael's really young at this time. He's being annoying. So Jerry goes off to do his thing and then they come back and Michael's missing. And so he goes missing for like, you know, four or five days. And then they, mm-hmm. they finally f- they find him and they're asking him all these questions like, oh, where were you? What happened? And he said, I was with grandma. And, you know, the grandmother's like, what the fuck? You weren't with me. And so <laughs> right. he goes he goes on to tell this tale of, you know, he wakes up. He feels very strange, very, very out of it. And he's in this cave and, um, you know, he sees his grandma. His grandma's in the cave with him. And she says, I need you to shit on this paper right here. This this sticky, poopy paper. I need you to shit on it. (laughs) And so the kid's like freaking out. He refuses to shit on this paper. And then he, you know, he wakes up and then he somehow just kind of in this, you know, etheric way makes his way back to the camp and then you know the police are like what the fuck so they you know they start investigating and they interview the grandma and they find the only thing they can find is this little mark on the back of her neck like a syringe mark like somebody took a sample from her Mm -hmm. so you know going back to we're in a modern day society where kids are afraid of clowns so if you needed something, if you needed a DNA sample, for whatever reason, this robot grandma needed this kid to poop on a paper. Well, how do you get this kid to feel comfortable? 
So it took on the persona of the grandmother, something that's very loving and caring to this kid because right, hell of it, right. it did it as a robot clown. That kid's going to be like, what the fuck? And then, you know, <laughs> getting out of there. Um, so I think that that phenomenon matches up very well to this story. Um, so yeah, those, those are my thoughts. Well, and what was weirder too about that story is, um, the kids said while they were in the cave that, you know, grandma Cappy, I think or Kathy or Cappy, uh, took him to, he said there were other robots lining the walls of this cavern that were in different states of like, you know, some look like humans and some look like robots and they're all kind of like dismantled and old and dusty. And then when grandma got pissed off because he wouldn't poop on the sticky paper, like a weird light started kind of like shining out of her face and like sparks started coming out of her neck. And you is, will shit on paper. <laughs> you will. It's got a lot of you know similarities to the episode of uh, X Files called The Unnatural, where the little um, uh, who is it? Mulder. I think Mulder finds no. Who finds it? Basically, there's a, a KKK member, and it's a black guy, and then the hood. You know, everyone's like, "Oh shit!" There's a KKK member who's black because his hood had fallen off. And then you find out this is an alien. Yeah. The alien took the form of the first thing it saw. That's a great episode. A, it's one of the most fantastic yeah. episodes, man. Yeah, um, yeah. When the totally alien lands, it takes that. the first you know appearance of something it come across. It comes across, and it was a you know an African American guy, and so he he's a black man. And then he sees the KKK, so he joins them and puts a hood on real quick. And then later on, it's revealed that you know his hood falls off. It's a black dude, and they're like, what? And then. Um, God, I think it was Mulder or somebody finds him and then he comes across and, and changes his appearance into like this like really hot blonde chick. And he's just like, yeah, I take the form on whatever that person's imagining to be, you know, at least threatening. Yeah, because he starts flirting with Mulder or some shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's easily what could have happened here because, you know, Just Say No started back in like the 80s and the 90s and Stranger Danger wasn't a huge thing until like... I mean, Stranger Danger kind of hit the England countryside faster than the U.S., but, like, it didn't really go into effect until the mid-'70s and the 80s because of all the child abductions and child murders and stuff like that. So this creature could have easily taken on exactly what you said, Preston, um, the appearance of a clown back then, and kids would have just been like, oh, great, it's a fucking clown. You know, and we see the berries, the berries like in uh, Thieves in the Night by Joshua Cutchin. Uh, you talk about how you're not supposed to pick berries and eat berries in the woods, and this thing has whisked these children away into this hut, which God knows what it was, a spaceship, you know, an alternate reality because her dad couldn't find it later. And he never offered the kids any berries, but he himself, you know, I got a bowl of blueberries on the table here. You know, what would have happened if they would have eaten those? Like, there's just too many weird similarities in the story to different parts of paranormal folklore. So, I don't know. It's one of my favorites. I've been wanting to cover it for a while, and uh, I really, really enjoy that story quite a bit. Unfortunately, it's the only encounter recorded with this type of entity, even though it went on to say it had others like him in the area. So, Yeah. Um, the other thing that kind of comes to mind is, and I, I asked earlier if you guys had both seen Whitley Strieber's Communion, uh, the movie rather, but in the book and the movie both, uh, Whitley describes seeing this strange entity come running into his room uh, during his first encounters, and this thing, he said, kind of had like a square robot body with a weird insignia, like a spiral written on it. Um, it had a big round head with just, you know, simple shapes for eyes and a mouth and a nose. And it was wearing a strange hat. And it looks pretty cartoony and pretty clowny itself. So it kind of begs the question here, what exactly did they come in contact with? Was it truly an alien? 
or, you know, with the berries here, it makes you wonder, were they not, you know, actually in the uh, company of some kind of fey folk or some kind of fairy? And the weirdest shit that bothers me the most is the idea that she said the thing's head was more like a jack-o'-lantern that had, you know, triangle holes cut inside of it. And it sounded like whatever was speaking almost had like kind of a muffle over its mouth, like it was clenching its jaw shut. So the fuck was inside that thing? <laughs> you know, being described as kind of like, you know, some kind of organic creature looking somewhat like a robot made out of wood and a clown. I don't know. Maybe they were glamored by something. It's hard to tell. And then I thought it was odd. I remember reading an article that had covered this and it talked about how the children had mentioned that he had some sort of device that he could scoop down into the river to purify the water. So now we have a robot that's like imitating drinking water and imitating eating berries. So is it an actual robot? Like the, it just gets more and more confusing on what the fuck this thing really is. Yeah. When, the fact that he's like, you know, I am all colors. Like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Are you a fucking chameleon? Like, what? What's going on, bro? I mean, that's that's something that begs the question. Is that exactly what that means? Like, I am all colors. I can take on the appearance of anything. Like, yeah, you know, colors could mean something way different to an entity from somewhere else than it does, you know, to us. So, yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Or, you know, like, religiously speaking, like, you know, colors are symbolic to, like, feeling. So, like, you know, like, green is symbolic for this. And so is he saying, like, he's symbolic of all humanity? Like, he's of all the colors. So, you know, he's like a fucking leprechaun, <laughs> and he's got his little fucking rainbow and, and all the magical <laughs> powers associated with it. Don't worry, kids. I'm not going to eat you. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> We just have to thank Stephen King for ruining clowns for everybody, don't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, the thing that really stands out to me the most, uh, to be the most unsettling, is just the idea that she takes notice of this thing, realizing it's like something's hiding behind the face, this mask, and it's like, what the fuck's in there? Like, clenching his jaw shut, just can't quite talk right, it just doesn't really pronounce words right, you know? Just so bizarre. But any hoozle, that is the story of Sam the Sandown Ghost Clown. Yeah, pretty interesting. All right, boys, anything else to add before we jump out of here? I'm gonna I went to see Slipknot, that was awesome, as always. And I get to see corn on Hell Friday. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about that. Man, that's that's a lot of really good music. Yeah. And Steve, I saw Tool a couple weeks ago. That's awesome, man. Congrats. I know that's one of your favorite bands. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. I uh, did something not nearly as exciting as both of you guys, but... Saw Dave Matthews? <laughs> oh, you can go fuck yourself, pal. We just bought tickets for the two-night concert he's doing in Colorado in September. Ooh. <laughs> Hell yeah. No, uh, Shayla and I both, for the first time ever, watched Stand By Me and also The Outsiders. Nice. That was your first time seeing both of them? Isn't that wild? Lord ass, Lord ass, Lord ass, Lord ass. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's amazing. Yeah, I had no idea either that Stephen King wrote "Stand yeah. by Me." The soundtrack because everyone's like, too. "Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it?" I loved that. But no, like everyone's always saying how you know "Stand by Me" and and Stephen King's "It." They're like, "Oh man, it." It's just like "Stand by Me," and I'm like, "Holy shit!" They he fucking wrote both stories. Mm -hmm. That's why it makes so much sense. Holy crap! Yeah. So good. 
What a cop out too, just to fucking do the same story but just add a killer clown to it. <laughs> just, just kidding. Well, that could be said for any coming of age tale. That's true. But yeah, the writer. No, it was <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, they were they were both good though. Yeah, we really enjoyed them. Um, both kind of slow burners, but no, we were sitting there hanging out, and I just realized like we'd never seen Stand by Me, so we watched that. And as soon as we finished it, I'm like. I'm getting two movies mixed up because I thought these were about like greasers and shit like that. And then I realized, oh crap, that's a whole different movie. <laughs> that's The Outsiders. And um, on Amazon Prime, they had the full novel or Stand By Me. No, shit. The Outsiders, the complete novel, which is like an extra half hour, mm-hmm. extra 40 minutes or whatever. So, Oh, that that is on yeah, Prime? Yeah, pretty. Yeah, you to, we got to rent it. Oh, we had to rent it. it. Okay. We had to pony up four bucks. So, I mean, fuck. I only buy over here. Man. Don't forget that Stephen King also did uh, The Running Man. Yeah, yeah. Arnold. I'll check that out again sometime. Get that on. Get the running. Running Man had Arnold and, um, oh, what's his name? Wesley Snipes, right? No, Wesley Snipes was not in there. Oh, I'm thinking of, um, what's the other movie? Three Shells. Oh, y- S- yes, that's uh, Sandra that was Sylvester Stallone yeah. and uh, yeah. Sandra Bullock and uh, Wesley Snipes. That was Demolition Man. Demolition Man. I always get those two. Yeah, three seashells, uh, man. We're the only thing left to eat is fucking Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Like, fuck <laughs> me. That would be, that's that's like an apocalypse right there. And you're going to need a lot more than three shells to clean up that mess. Yeah. With that, folks, thank you so much for listening. If you're on the uh, social medias, check us out at Instagram, at PXL Paranormal. If you're on Facebook, we are The Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Preston, tell us a bit about YouTube. Yeah, we're on YouTube, Pixelated Paranormal Podcast. Uh, since last time uh, on the episode, I said we were at 175. Now we're up to 177, so we've gained two subscribers. We're, we're just getting so close. So close to 200. So if you're listening to this on iTunes, if you're listening to this on Stitcher, Podbean, wherever the fuck else you get your podcast, maybe experience it in a whole new light and go over to YouTube, like, subscribe, share. Maybe you got some old fogety parents that uh, don't do an app, but they still do YouTube. Share it with them because uh, <laughs> they can experience the unusual and the strange. So yeah, very true. Very true. You know, and as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard uh, so you don't look like an alien hobo robotic clown, then you need to do yourself a favor and go over to BigDopsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order because those little tufts of hobo hair on the side of your face are going to look great. They're going <laughs> to smell great. And uh, you can get it all. and You can get it at Dobbs. you got scents like Bay Rum, Dundee Cedar, Fresh. Citrus, mint, classic, and sweet tobacco. Tobacco. There you go. And if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see our dear friend Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post. Pawnee I was just at dinner with them tonight. It was a lovely meal. Fuck yeah, man. It's always a good time hanging out with them. I got to give a huge shout out to John as well. Um, he's my fellow horror homie and, you know, pop culture collector. And he scored me a very interesting find, a vinyl copy of Harry and the Hendersons film score. That's awesome. Oh. So cool. It's in a, it's in really great condition, and he found it at a record swap flea market, and he texted me and says, do you have this? And I freaked out and said, no, but I have to have it. So Hell yeah. It's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, it's... It's really fun hanging out um, with John and Leslie, and we need to do it again. We should really do another episode with them uh, soon.
All right. With that, folks, thank you, as always, for listening. And I'd like to say cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.